Hey, this is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. I began this conversation last week called Unseen Love. And we have dove into the whole idea, concept. I've challenged you to over-spiritualize everything. And that's not a negative thing. We sometimes put this negative mindset to over-spiritualizing something. I'm just going to challenge us that we would over-spiritualize everything. I told you last week that we talked about two main, I talked about uh, really, I'll just introduce you to this whole concept that we've got to change what we see, we've got to change our perception, we've got to shift our perception. I hit on two kind of hot topics, if you will, of racism and abortion in the church, and I told you that even those issues could be stemmed back and we could find that we fix ourselves on what's seen, we fix ourselves on what we can see because there's emotion tied to it, there's something tied to that, but yet we never really dive down deep to see what it is that's unseen. I specifically told you about those two issues, that abortion abortion is nasty, it's gruesome, it's dirty, it hurts, it's full of emotion, we can see it, so that's what we tie to it. So the church, every four years, stands on a soapbox and we're pro-life rather than pro-choice, and, and we are, don't mishear my heart, we are pro-life and we are against abortion, but we don't want to deal with the fact that it's sexual immorality that leads to that activity in the first place. We don't want to get down to the root of realizing that it's the enemy, not necessarily that it's him killing babies. That's this whole. But if, if we would deal with sin where sin begins, we wouldn't be at that point in the first place. You with me? We talked about racism, and I told you, I understand. We are, we're fixed. We're driven by history. We're driven by culture. We're driven by the way we were raised. We were driven by the, the experiences we've gone through. But in reality, if we dive past the color of skin and we get down to what's unseen, Jesus said that the least, the least of these shall be the greatest, right? That's the words of Jesus, not Mitchell. And if I'm going to be the least and I'm going to bring myself to humility and I'm going to view everybody else as somebody that I'm here to serve, how can I possibly be a racist when they're above me? When I take my place in the kingdom, recognizing that there's a soul in every single individual, how can I possibly be a racist and be the least at the same time? It's not possible. But we see the unseen, or we see what we see instead of the things that we actually can't see. So today, I want to go down uh, maybe a little more practical with some of this conversation. I told you that our key passage, our key verse, would be out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. I want to read that to you, and then I'm going to continue with another passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We've got to get to the place where we quit seeing natural and we begin to see supernatural. Look at TV and movies. They, they make billions of dollars creating this entertainment 
that revolves around a supernatural world. Right? The reason that they can do that is because we are starving for a supernatural. But yet we don't see the supernatural. I told you there are things in the natural that are unseen that you put faith in. For, for instance, you drove your car in today on four tires, unless you drove a motorcycle, and those tires had air in them that inflated them to a certain pressure. And all you, you had faith when you walked out the door. You didn't really know what was in your tires, but you had enough confidence that the invisible air that was in those tires were going to keep your tires afloat long enough or inflated long enough to get you here without an accident. When PwC or, or uh, Duke Energy or whoever it is that provides your power bill, when they send you the power bill come about June or July, more than likely it's going to be at an increase. They're going to say that you've used more electricity than you did last month. How do we know that? All we can do is trust that they're telling us the truth. I can't see how much electricity comes in my house, but I put confidence in what they're saying, although it's unseen. Right? We, we have, our, our world has turned upside down and we've taken all kinds of precautions, I told you, for the virus and we've done things and, and all of this goes back to the fact we're acting on believing in the unseen. I can't see the virus. I've lived it, but I can't see it. But yet, when I walk in a restaurant, I'm still putting a mask on my face. Or, or when everybody clears out of here, Brother Bruce is going to come through with this awesome fogger that does a good job. And he's going to spray this place. And it's going to smell kind of like a mixture of diesel fuel and plants in some sort of weird way. And, and we're killing whatever germs are here, although we can't see them. Right? We have faith in the natural unseen, but we won't tap into the supernatural unseen. I want us to look at the whole idea today. I want to dive into our homes and dive into our families. According to James 4, our lives are simply a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Paul said that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in order for that concept to be a reality, we've got to stop viewing our lives and what we see and see the unseen. If it's better for me, if to die is Christ, to live is Christ, to die is gain, if I recognize my life is eternal, although this physical heart may stop beating in this moment, because I'm pretty excited, and I'm kind of like wore out and sweating right this second. So if my heart were to quit beating, you'd kind of flip out, and some of you might cry, some of you might not. Just kidding, you better cry. But the reality of it is, what you would actually see is my dead body laying here, but the unseen is that I would be entering into eternity, right? So in the grand scheme of life, if I can view everything through the lens that my life's simply a vapor here on this earth, and this is just almost like the appetizer to the rest of my life, who really gives a rip if the salad dressing's any good or not because a steak's coming later, right? You with me? Let's look at the family. John chapter 10, verse 10, you know this scripture says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I have the devil's playbook. When a ball game's going to take place, a football game, if you can figure out the other team's place, you really get an advantage, right? 
Teams sit and watch videos over and over. Coaches watch hours of videos over and over of, of, of other teams playing to try to figure out what the plays are. I have the devil's playbook. Why? Well, if Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly, Satan came to do the exact opposite. You with me? To steal, kill, and destroy. So if Jesus came to give me life, Satan's out to give me death. With me? It's really not very complicated. If God wants me to prosper, Satan wants me to be in need. Right? I have the devil's playbook. So as we look through this whole little conversation over the next few minutes, and I got about an hour's worth of material, so hang out just a little bit. Maybe we can DoorDash something to eat. You need to understand that fact. That Satan wants the opposite of the word of God. So let's start with the marriage relationship. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So let's break it down. Just this scripture alone creates an environment for Satan and all of hell to attack a marriage, right? God's determination, his purpose is that marriage be honored by all and the marriage bed be undefiled. What's Satan's play? Satan's play is that nobody honor marriage and the marriage bed be defiled as, as dirty as it can possibly get, right? It's pretty simple. It's not very hard. If God's mission and his intention is for marriage to be held in honor among all, then it makes sense that we're fighting a culture that does not respect marriage whatsoever. Okay? If God's intention is for the marriage bed to be undefiled, then it makes sense that sexual immorality and struggles and, and everywhere we look and everywhere we go is something to get us from that defilement of the, the marriage bed. You with me? The devil playbook is not very difficult. Scripture teaches us that wives are supposed to submit and respect their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. By this very word of God alone, we recognize there's this huge scriptural implication to marriage. God said that the marriage should represent something of the church. So if, if God's intention is for the marriage to represent that of the church, doesn't it make sense that Satan would want the opposite? But doesn't it also make sense? There, there's not anything else really in Scripture that I've ever seen where, where, where God says that you should love your kids like Christ loved the church. No, you should love your friends like Christ loved the church. No, it is husbands. You're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. That puts this whole conversation and this marriage relationship at the height of relationships here on earth because if Jesus has already put this major spiritual the connection and this symbolism there, then obviously the enemy's going to attack, right? There's no way around it. When I'm asked to perform a wedding ceremony, I don't do the wedding until we sit down and have a long discussion about the spiritual uh, implications of marriage. I've had some people that were the furthest thing from the church, but they were living together. And they looked at me like I was absolutely crazy <laughs> when I told them, well, you're actually called. If you want me to do the ceremony, it means that you, you care some way what shape or form about God being involved. If not, you need to go to the courthouse. 
Because by choosing to have a wedding, by choosing to, to bring a minister in, you bring God into the ceremony. If you want to get married by law, go to the courthouse and do whatever you want to do and let the magistrate do it and be done with it. But because you brought me in, I've got to have this conversation and I've got to explain it to you. And there's people that, that are shallow in the faith or there's people that, that are not there at all. I did, one, um, I did a wedding for one couple who really was not in church at all and they were like mind blown by the concept that he's supposed to love her like Jesus loved the church. But the fact that a husband is to love his wife in the way that Christ loved the church already sets us up for failure because the devil's playbook is to attack it. We're already against the odds. We're already got a target on our back. We already have a target on our marriage. If God is for marriage, I'm just going to tell you that Satan is absolutely against it. You with me? And if he's against us, he's going to do everything in his power to steal it, to kill it, and destroy it. So next time, men, something said that's absolutely off the wall, stop, slow down a minute, and don't rebuke your wife, rebuke Satan. Do not call your wife Satan. It's extremely important. Whenever there's a tension, can we just be honest? When there's a breach of trust, when there's a struggle, when there's an issue, when there's hurt, when there's problems, if we will stop a second and realize there's something unseen here. I'm not excusing any horrible action. Don't mishear me. But the fact is, there's more to it than what I can see and what I can feel in the moment when Micah, who never does anything wrong, happens to say something that just kind of rubs me a little bit, but she don't ever do that because she never does anything wrong. When that moment happens, it's not actually her that I, I should be seeing. In reality, she didn't even know what she did. It's the enemy trying to creep in and put something there to bring some kind of situation between us to bring us apart because when we're together, we're strong. When we're together, we can conquer the world. When we're apart, we're battling each other and don't have a clue what the rest of the world's dealing with and so we view marriage as this mindset so often where we're against each other when in reality God designed it in a way that we stand side by side and conquer the rest of the world so let's look at our kids Psalm 127 3 through 5 says children are a gift from the Lord that is enough right there I just untied my shoe that is enough if children are a gift from the Lord, when they're getting on our ever-loving nerves, wouldn't it be Satan's job to attempt us to make us think, what in the world was I thinking? Right? I mean, it's funny, and most of us don't really mean it all the time. But what we see is, I'm frustrated to no end, I've not had a full night's sleep in the last eight years. Maybe one or two, but not consecutively. Let me just. And so if children are a gift from the Lord, doesn't it make sense that the devil's play is to make me think the opposite? 
to make me think, what in the world was I doing? What was I thinking? And bring, begin to bring division and begin to bring bitterness and the situation between our kids. And I begin to resent my kids. I don't like my kids sometimes because they're keeping me from my wife sometimes. I don't like my kids sometimes because they keep me from other things sometimes. Isn't that what the devil would want to communicate to us? Because that's what we see. But there's something much deeper. The fact is, they're a gift from the Lord, and Satan wants to destroy the gift. That goes on, and it says, Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Lord, have mercy. I'm thankful that two filled my quiver, and I didn't have to have 15. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Doesn't it make sense that the enemy would want to bring some kind of resentment and division between us and our children? He's out to kill, steal, and destroy our children and our relationship with our children. Ephesians 6, 1, 2, 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And all the parents said, Amen. For this is right, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that your life may be long in the land. If Scripture's plan is for us to have long lives, wouldn't it make sense that the enemy's plan is for us to be dead? Would you please tie that? <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? If, if God wants my kids to live a long, happy life, the devil wants the opposite. So wouldn't it make sense that he would do what he could to make them disobey so that he could shorten the length of their life? So really when they're being defiant and they're lying and they need a beating and they need another beating, really what's taking place is not that they're being disobedient out of their own flesh. Really what's taking place, the unseen is. There is a lifelong ahead of them and Satan wants to kill it. But we see what we see. And my blood pressure rises when it rises. But there's more to it than what we can see. It's all spiritual. Lately, my kids are perfect. Don't ask Pastor Amber when she comes back. Just take my word for it. I did threaten McCaden when he walked in the door over there. Lately, we've done our best. I'm telling you, this has been something that's stirring in me. If nobody else gets anything out of this whole sermon series, Lord bless you. I'm going to keep preaching it for myself. We've had to over-spiritualize everything. Something takes place with the kids. And it drives us up the walls and it makes no sense. For some reason, it doesn't matter how many times you whoop them, spank them, whatever you want to call it. I don't beat my kids on Mondays. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't. But it doesn't... Uh, Parents that have had kids, you know. I did not know. Pastor Jonathan said Wednesday night something about never understanding why you couldn't have a sucker. He said Mackenzie would figure it out when he gets to, when she gets to be his age. You learn a lot when you get to be here. 
never understood why my mama beat me every day. And some of y'all say she still needs to. Mm. My mother-in-law prayed me home from Georgia. Worst seven months of my life. You want something to happen? Get her to pray for it. Because regardless of what it takes, it's going to happen. Now listen. We had a problem with one of the kids the other day. They've been lying. And we've done everything we can to see the fact of you got to stop lying. And we beat them and we've, we didn't beat them. We spanked them. According to Pastor Amber, as long as the bruise is not there more than 24 hours, you're good. Hey, our live stream's working today. Ain't it, uh, Shine, yeah. No, really, here's the thing. What we've had to get to the place to realize is that the enemy wants to still kill and destroy our kids. And we've tried to reevaluate our position as a parent. First of all, to God, I'm a nasty, messed up joker. Right? Before I was saved and redeemed, I was one messed up guy. Okay? And if I'm supposed to love my kids in a way that the Heavenly Father's relationship is given to me, then there's got to be some grace. You say, Pastor Mitchell, you're supposed to spank your kids. Well, yeah. You ever been disciplined by the Holy Spirit? It's the worst on the face of the planet. I'd rather you beat me in the face than to, to walk around knowing what I've done was wrong. We sat one of them down the other night and said, you want to go to hell? He said, that's blunt. I'm tired of dealing with it. You want to go to hell? Because the fact of all this is, it doesn't matter how many times we try to correct this, it doesn't matter how many times we try to fix this, God hates, he detests a lying tongue or lips that tell lies. You want to go to hell? It ain't about what I want. It's not about me, me wanting you to do better. It's not about you not getting your way. It's not, about, it's not about any of that. The problem is, if we don't fix this right now, then later down the road, when something takes place, I'm sorry, but you're going to go to hell. My job is not to be their best friend. I got a best little buddy. There's no question about it. He curls up beside me, and, and he is my best buddy. But number one, my number one job is to teach him and keep him out of hell. And if I don't have my eyes fixed on that, and I can't see the fact that the enemy wants them to be a distraction to everything in my life, and the enemy wants me to have some resentment because I have no control. If I can't see past the things that I can see and begin to see the unseen, then they never get addressed. The devil's playbook is simple. If a kid is a gift from the Lord, he wants to convince me otherwise. If they are supposed to live a long, happy life by being obedient, he's doing everything he can to bring disobedience so that their life would be shortened. You with me? He is out to attack our marriages and our kids and our relationships with our kids. He wants to steal the purity of our children. 
We've got a device in their hands most of the time from the time they're two or three years old. And it don't matter how hard we try. It don't matter how hard we try to filter. It doesn't matter how hard we try to, to keep control. It don't matter what we try to do. There's always a way in, and they're always exposed to something they don't need to be exposed to. Always. YouTube kids, we were sitting around a table with a couple at the marriage retreat the other weekend, and this mom was talking about how her six- or seven-year-old little girl was watching YouTube kids, and a birth control commercial came on. They've done what they can. They've filtered. They've put the, the blocks in place. They've done everything they possibly can in their power. Yet Satan's trying to steal the purity of their little girl. I told you I got an hour. I know it's 12 o'clock, but I'm not done. Really just getting to the meat. So sit back. Recline at the table. The third thought is there's an attack against the men of the house. There's an attack against the men of the house. First Timothy 2.8 says, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. In every place. In this room, in the bedroom, in the kitchen, on the job, standing around the buddies, around a pond. In every place, men should pray. Paul said in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. That means that our strength is not defined in our anger and our strength is not defined in, in, in being abrasive and being manipulative and our strength is not, no, be strong, let everything you do be done in love. And then 1 Corinthians, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Here's the bigger picture about this. We're facing a gender identity crisis in our culture. You agree? According to the new Equality Act, by the way, which you need to contact your senator to try to push down the Equality Act, it would actually make it so that this church would have to hire people that are not Christians, that are not living a biblical standard. We would, the way that it's written right now, we would not be exempt as a religious organization. We would have to hire, we would have to allow anybody to come in and be a part of employment here. And we could not be biased to their religious or gender orientation. You need to call your senator and tell him you're against the Equality Act. You need to pray. It would also mean that public schools would have to allow, it would force teachers to ask students whether they choose to be a male or a female and what they choose for their name that they to be called. I've got a friend, a pastor friend of mine, that his kids started kindergarten four or five years ago in Carborough, North Carolina, and when he did the first day of kindergarten, the teacher said, 
My name is Miss So-and-so, and in this class, you can be whoever you want to be and whatever you want to be. If you don't like your name, I'll call you whatever you choose to be called. If you want to be a boy, you can be a boy. If you want to be a girl, you can be a girl in kindergarten. My kid can't even decide what shoes he wants to put on his feet. But can we just be honest? But here's the thing. This gender identity crisis didn't start with Mr. Potato Head. It started years ago when the men of the church fell. Can we just be honest? I was in that marriage conference. There was 27 couples two weeks ago. One of the first questions in the discussions were, who is it in your life that you can look back and say they were the closest to God? They prayed. The, the, one of the main points of this thing was seeking God first. Who was it in your life that sought God first above everything else? 27 couples. I don't know if there was one that named a male. They named the grandmothers. You think about it. Not the grandfathers. I had lunch with my granddad this week, and, and I thought about that, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm honored that I believe he lays his dead head down every night and he prays over us. I see prayers that are coming to pass when he prays for them. But the reality of it is, this identity crisis started a long time ago when men quit acting like men. And so what's it created? Men want to run from the responsibility, and so they don't want to, to take their role in the, the order that God created. They don't want to take their role in head of the, of the house, head of the wife. I'm not talking about being, this is my way, and this is the way it's going to be, whether you like it or not. No, he said, let everything you do be done in love. But men have, have backed down, and the men are no longer in the position, in the order that God created them to be. And so now we have women trying to step up and fill that role. And we've created a gender identity crisis. We've had women who have been hurt by men who did not fill that role. So they don't want let any man in their life. They won't let anybody get close to them. And so what they do is they run to the opposite of a man. They run to a like gender, if you will. And so then we have this whole situation of a homosexuality crisis. We have this whole situation. We can keep going. But we see what we see, and we don't see the unseen. The unseen is the men did not act like men years ago, and now here we are, Mr. Potato Head can't be Mr. Potato Head anymore. That's what we see. That's what makes us mad. That's what we put on Facebook. That's not the problem. The problem is the Christian godly men quit acting like men. And now we have churches who can't even get enough men to have solid, good, godly, manly leadership. It's not there. Why? And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox. And I'm not trying to, to be... Why did the church of God have to pass so that women could serve on the church and pastor's council? Because there were no men. I'm not against women doing any sort of ministry. I love it. But the reason, the underlying thing is, there were no men. Because Satan has attacked the men. And when he attacked the men, 
the households collapsed. When the households collapsed, the churches collapsed. When the churches collapsed, the communities collapsed. When the communities collapsed, the states collapsed. And when the states collapsed, our nation is in a place where we can't, we don't even know right from wrong anymore. But it did not start with what could be seen. It started with what was unseen. Satan wants to kill our marriages. Why? Because it's God's will for them to thrive. Satan wants to use any tool he possibly can. He don't want my kids to live and to be a reward to me. Why? Because God does. He don't want men to be men. Why? Because God does. We see what we see. And the whole point of this whole conversation is trying to push you to a place to start over-spiritualizing some things and see the real depth. We've got the answers. And so if the answers to the test are that the way that God's ordered this thing is that Christ is the head of man and man is the head of his wife, it's here, it's clear, that's the answer to the test. So the devil wants nothing more than to convince me that's not the answer. So what do we do? How do we battle it? Well, like I said last night, what's the application? I said, I'll tell you next week. I'll give you a tidbit because you need something. Number one, you see it. You see it. Chances are, if I think the problem is what I see, I'm wrong. That, that's just the fact. My first, my first thing, if I see something and I think that's the problem, chances are I'm wrong. Not just me, you too. Because we've got our mind dull and numb to the spiritual. We don't see it. So number one, see it. Recognize it. My family gets tired of being object lessons and sermons, but I guess it's just a never-ending thing married a pastor in the last couple months I believe we've been very intentional that when one of us does something that rubs the other one the wrong way we don't have knockdown drag outs I don't believe in that mess I'm not going to yell at her she's going to yell at me she's the daughter of the one true king and who in the world am I to yell at her but when we have moments that are not right, men, we want to be right. You agree? It's the victor in us. We want to win. We're competitive. We want to win. We can be absolutely wrong, but we still want to win the discussion. Right? I mean, I'm just being honest. We're that way. And, and something rocked my world 
sometime back that in order for me to be right means she has to be wrong, which in turn means I hurt her. And I'd rather be her knight in shining armor hero than be a victor and be right. You with me? I'd rather be her hero and not hurt her, but save her. Eventually, she realizes she's wrong. It's just a fact. If not, who cares? It won't important anyway. I'm going to heaven when I die. Who gives a rip what happened right here? Right? But I can't get focused on that because I'm focused on this. I can't see the bigger picture of the enemy wanting to bring division and cause problems because all I see is I'm not winning this discussion right now. We were riding down the road the other day, and there was something, and I think it's like she almost wanted us to bicker. She was like fishing just a little bit, if you will. I said, it doesn't matter. You're right, and I ain't got to argue with you about it because I'd rather you be right. Because it's not important that we showed up where we were headed with this attitude with each other not even wanting to look at each other. That's what would have happened. Truthfully, we're on the way to have dinner somewhere with somebody. And if we'd have, if we'd have rolled on that mindset, we'd have been so messed up. We would have. And it's not because I'm anything special. It's just because I've learned to see it. You can learn to see it. The problem is not really the problem. The problem is the enemy wanted to push something up and just take this stupid little whatever it was, nothing of a conversation in the grand scheme of life and try to mess up and bring disunity to what's unified. See it. Second fault. You see it. You name it. Name it. One of the kids was doing something the other morning. And I was like at my end. And I closed my eyes. And I said, in the name of Jesus, Satan, you have no place in this house. you got to let go of my baby, and you need to get out right now. I ain't standing for this junk. You have no place here. Release her. You let it go. I'm done. When I opened my eyes, her eyes were Name it. We started realizing that when things come up, they're not what they are, and we can say this is just something that the enemies want to use to throw us off. There was a conversation we had last night that, that Satan, I believe, is trying to use something that I'm dealing with, some kind of situation and junk, nasty emotion, jealousy kind of stuff in me, and it's just another, re it's another thing that he's trying to use to throw me off my calling and my purpose. And we said, name it. I know that it's not real. I know that it's wrong that I feel the way that I do. I know that it's not even, it doesn't even make sense that I feel the way I do. It's crazy. I know that it's Satan trying to trip me up. I know it. Name it. See it, name it, destroy it. Made me second guess my point. Destroy it. See it, name it, destroy it. How do you destroy it? Well, I told you I'm going to tell you next week.
But for starters, you destroy it with the power of your prayer and your worship. Men, how do we break the gender identity crisis? Open your mouth and in all places pray and let your (laughs) praises be heard. Act like men. How do I break the junk with my kids? Well, first of all, I've seen it. I name it. The devil wants my kids. The devil wants your kids, your grandkids. Name it. And then start rebuking the devil out of the house. By the power of your words, your prayer, your worship, you destroy it. See it, name it, destroy it. One of the best ways to destroy whatever is taking place in a marriage is to pray together, out loud, audibly in that marriage. We were with a couple that had been married 30-something years. And the husband stood up on, the wife, I think, stood up on Sunday and said, my husband prayed over us for the first time. You know why men can't pray over your wives? I mean, there's a consensus. If you can do it, you're in the rare. I mean, I'm just being honest. If you can confidently and boldly pray over your wife, you're in the rare minority. You are. You know why you can't? Because it's completely what God wants to happen. So Satan uses all kinds of pride and insecurities, and I'm not good enough, and I can't pray. She's more spiritual than I am. Satan's using all these different things to keep us from praying over our spouses. I'm not talking about, have a good day, honey, I'll pray for you today. I'm talking about wherever it is, whatever the quiet spot is, moving past everything else and stopping and shutting up. And men, act like men and pray over your wife and your marriage and your family. You'd be amazed. Women, I can't can't describe to you how difficult that is. I can't. I, I I do it faithfully now. I was somebody was talking the other day and they said that they were riding down the road in the car and whichever took their wife's hand and it took them five minutes. They would start to say something and they would shut up. They'd start to say something and shut up. For five minutes they battled, opening their mouth and audibly playing praying over their spouse. Because Satan knows that what God joins together. Nobody can tear apart. And when God binds together a husband and wife in the unity of prayer, nothing can touch it. It can't be touched. See it. Name it. Destroy it. Would you stand with me? I'm passionate 
about this conversation. If you can't tell, it's 1220 and I really don't care. Look at the bright side. You get to go into the second round of the restaurant instead of waiting in line for the first round. I am passionate about it. Because when we start to see what is really there, then we can name it and address it. That's a wake-up call today. That Satan wants your marriage. He wants your kids, your grandkids. Men, he wants your place. We are in a gender identity crisis. Because Satan did enough damage to put us here but I ain't giving him no glory because I believe that revival is on the rise and unto God be all the praise for men standing up and acting like men and taking their place and beginning to pray in all places and beginning to see the glory of God rain down in their homes and in their families and, and I, I'm, I can't give the devil any glory for that he might have put us in this place we might be here because I'm willing to see that I'm willing to name it but I'm also willing to destroy it We need a revival. I'm telling you, you have the devil's playbook. This is God's word. It's true. This is by far not the devil's playbook, but the devil's playbook is the exact opposite of this. If you read the Word of God and you know the Word of God, you can instantly know, I don't act in defense anymore. I act in offense because I know that in this situation and in, in, in this, this relationship, whatever, all, the, the enemy wants to still kill and destroy it. So therefore, I'm already on offense and I'm looking to see what it is that he's wanting to use, whatever it is he's wanting to rise up, whatever kind of wall that he's wanting to build to drive us apart. I'm already waiting on it. Something will take place today that is an opportunity to bring division and to bring some kind of situation between the two of us. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. You know why? Because God desires we be together. And God desires unity. It's going to happen. And so when it does, I pray that I'm strong enough to see it, name it, and destroy it. Amen. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I thank you for grace, mercy. Lord, I thank you for giving us your word. God, I thank you that you're giving us this challenge that marriage is supposed to be honored by all and the marriage bed undefiled. Father, I thank you that my children are a gift that comes from you and children born to a young man are like arrows that it would fill a quiver, Father. I thank you, God, that you've got desires for my children to obey and honor their mother and their father, that their life may be long and days may be added. Father, I thank you that you're calling us to act like men, that you're calling us to be strong and let everything we do be done in love. Father, you're calling us to, to pray in all places places lifting up holy hands without pride and without distraction father i thank you for those challenges i thank you for those blessings that are put on my life god i thank you for giving us the the ability to realize that the devil wants the exact opposite that the thief came to steal kill and destroy what it is that you came to bring life to
Father, and today, God, I pray that we continue this mentality of over-spiritualizing things, that in our home we would begin to see the things that would make us uh, want to, to rage up in anger, the things that would want to make us break down and cry, the things that would want to, to rock our world. Father, they wouldn't rock us the same way anymore, Lord. We would deal with them, we'd handle them, God, and we would process those emotions. But first and foremost, we see that it's not actually what we see, but we see that it's the unseen. We see that it's the devil, that Satan wanting to try to come in and bring division and resentment toward our wives and our, our spouses and toward our kids and, and he wants to drag us down as men so that this whole gender identity crisis can begin to continue to rise God but we stand today we stand firm not only in the physical but in the supernatural the spiritual the things that are eternal I stand today and determined to act like a man and determined to be a man that's after your heart. Father, I pray that each person that's under the sound of my voice today would take the challenge to begin to find the things that they can't really see, to see the unseen, to see it, name it, and to destroy it with their prayer and their worship. Father, I thank you for this beautiful time today. God, I thank you for this beautiful opportunity we've had to worship you. Father, I pray you bless your people. God, let your face shine on them. Give them grace and peace. Keep them safe. Bring them back in the name of Jesus. Bless their families, their relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.